But let's pray this morning and let's just ask the Lord to bring revelation and help through his word. Can we do that? Let's all pray and let's, let's all lift our voice right now. God, we're thankful that you've brought us together in this service on this wonderful Sunday morning. God, I'm thankful for everybody in the room and everybody online. Lord, I believe that it is divinely orchestrated. Jesus, that somebody is here poised and ready to take a step towards you and let your word this morning, God, challenge us and move us. Help us today. That's our prayer, God. Let your spirit bring comfort. Let your spirit bring help and do it only you can do. In the name of Jesus, everyone shout in Jesus' name. As you're seated today, let your neighbor know God's got your back. We all know what it is to find ourselves in a tight spot from time to time, don't we? When your back is against the wall and you just flat out need some help. Isn't it wonderful in moments like that to know that you have a friend that you can call on? And you know that they will come running as soon as humanly possible to lend you a hand. We all need people like that in our lives. We all need friends that we know that have our back when the going gets tough. Proverbs 18.24, it says that one who has unreliable friends will soon come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And today I want to tell you about a friend like that. I want to tell you about a God who will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what issues in life may arise, the bottom may fall out on my plans. People may betray me and walk out the back door, but not this Jesus whom I serve. Not this God who is faithful to me. And through every season and through every storm, through every test and through every trial, in the good times and in the bad times, I want you to know, and I've come to know, that God's got my back, and I want to tell you today, God's got your back. One more time, tell your neighbor, God's got your back. Now today, I want to look at a powerful patriarch in the Old Testament by the name of Abraham. We know him as the father of faith. And Abraham was a mighty man of God. And it all began for Abraham when God first called him out of his homeland and promised to make of him a great nation. And with that, Abraham obeyed, leaving everything that was familiar behind. Genesis chapter 12 tells that story. And I got to tell you that this was no small thing. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it tells us that Abraham had no idea where he was going. He didn't have a destination. He didn't have GPS coordinates. He was stepping out on nothing more than a word from God. God said, Abraham, leave your family. Leave what is familiar. Leave Ur of the Chaldees and, and go to a land that you know not of. But I'll lead you there. That's faith today. Can you say that's faith? Now, inherent in that initial call from God was the promise that Abraham would have many descendants that would someday become a great nation. And this all sounds good to Abraham. It, it sounds wonderful, not just that there would be a land and, and a nation, but, but there would be descendants that would belong to he and that he would be the one from whom they would spring forth. That, that sounds great, but, but there is one glaring problem in Abraham's story. First of all, his wife Sarah is barren, unable to conceive. And 
as you can gather, that's kind of an important detail when you're talking about having offspring and having, having a lineage. Without a son, this whole becoming a great nation thing, it is over before it even begins. Not to mention Abraham is 75. <laughs> you can do the math there. 75 years old when God first calls him and his wife is 65. They're drawing pension already. <laughs> Senior citizens, you know. That's, that's who they are. That's where they are. But God promises them a son nonetheless. And at the word of God, they, they step out and they begin waiting on his promise. They step out and begin moving toward the promises of God. And they wait. And they wait. And they wait. And with each passing year, it becomes more and more difficult to believe this promise. And it seems less and less possible for God to come good on his word. And about 10 years into this holding pattern, Sarah tries to take matters into her own hands and gives her Egyptian handmaid Hagar to her husband. Now this is foreign to us in our modern day, but, but this was typical in those days where a woman, if she was barren, could give a handmaiden or, or a servant of some sort to her husband and it was through the servant or the handmaid that a child would be born and that would be counted as her child. But this was not God's plan. This was not what God had in mind. And, and God had spoken to Abraham and said, it's through Sarah that this promise will be born. And so this was a detour. This was Sarah trying to take a shortcut. And I got to tell you, shortcuts are always short-sighted. And they always have a way of short-circuiting God's plan. I'll tell you, it never turns out when we try to bypass God's process in the waiting. So the years, they continue to pass. And Abraham is no longer 75. He's not 85. He's not even 95. He is 99 years old now. Still no son. And seemingly no closer to the promise. But in Genesis 17, God speaks again to Abraham as he has done several times already. And this time, God gives Abraham a timeline. Genesis 17, 21, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. God said, Abraham, this time next year, you're going to have a baby in your arms. And against all odds, against common sense, and against the very laws of nature itself, God said, hey, you're finally going to get the promise. You're finally going to get your heart's desire. But they hardly dared to believe it because they had been down this road before. In fact, they had been walking on this road for the past two plus decades. Still no son, but still they believed. And they found out that God is a promise-keeping God. They found out that God, the one whom they served, was a God of his word. For Genesis 21 begins by saying, And the Lord visited Sarah just as he had said. It was his word that sustained them. And he came good on his word. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Somebody say, as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at that set time of which God had spoken to him. I said it last week, but I'll say it again this morning, that what the Lord begins, he backs. 
And if God has set you on this journey, then he is going to back you up all the way. And God was the one who had started Abraham and Sarah some 25 years earlier on this path and on this journey. And if it seemed impossible then, it certainly seemed impossible when Abraham was nearly 100 years old. In fact, both of them at two different times in the scripture, Abraham, he laughed, and Sarah, she laughed at this impossibility in front of them, doing all that they could do to believe. But God responded to their laughter, responded to their questions by saying, is anything too hard for the Lord? I know you look at your circumstance and you think it's impossible. You think there's no way that this could ever happen. And yes, with man, it might be impossible, but not with this God. With God, all things are possible. If you believe that today, why don't you clap your hands for a moment and just shout it. With God, all things are possible. Amen. I've come to tell you this morning that if the Lord speaks a word, you can take it to the bank. If God gives you a promise, you can take it to the bank and it is sure and steadfast. It is a solid rock upon which you can stand because his word is forever settled. That's the God we serve. Though it may not happen right when you think it should. Sometimes there is that season of waiting as Abraham and Sarah found out. The words of Daniel, they come to mind in Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord likewise had spoken a word to the prophet Daniel. And Daniel, he had this understanding. He said, the thing was true. What God spoke to me was true, but the time appointed was long. It was no less true when it was spoken, but there was a season of waiting. There was this holding pattern until what God said came to pass. Isaiah chapter 55, the prophet wrote, the Lord speaking, God said, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God said, so, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void or we might say ineffective, but it shall, my word, it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God said, my word is like water that falls from the sky. And we understand that there's a water cycle. But before that water goes back up into the sky to water the earth again in the future time, it is going to, it is going to water the earth after it falls. It is going to cause something to flourish. It is going to cause something to bud and spring forth. It will bring forth seed for the sower and bread for the eater. That's his word. God said, that's my word. Wherever my word goes, God said, it will accomplish all that I want to and it will prosper everywhere that I send it. But, but if you back up to verse 10, if you'll put that back on the screen, God said, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven. I'll tell you this morning that the word of God, it is powerful and it is trustworthy, but sometimes it is like the snow. And this time of year, we know very well Praise God. What snow is like. We are well familiar. Some of you, you can hardly back out of your driveway without risking your life because of the snow banks that are sitting there. Somebody say, praise the Lord. 
we know that when the snow falls, it doesn't water the earth immediately. It sits there for a while, doesn't it? And there is a winter season where that water is trapped in a frozen state, just waiting, waiting for that smell of spring, waiting for the changing of seasons. And we know that that snow is not just going to fall back up to the sky in its current state. We know that the Lord, sometimes we wish he would, but we know that the Lord is not going to lift those snow banks off the end of our driveway. We understand that it's here with us until spring comes and until it begins to melt. And, and it will at some point in the future, it is going to water the earth at the changing of the seasons. And it is going to be seed, bring forth seed for the sower and bread for the eater, just like the rain, but it's after a season of waiting. For now, sometimes you have to wait. You have to wait in this season called winter. You have to wait through these cold and dark days, but you do so with hope, knowing that it's not going to be like this forever. But one of these days, these seasons will change and, and the promise of new life, it will spring forth. And it's the same with the word of God, with the word from God sometimes. Sometimes it's like the rain and we love that. And we sing the songs, Lord, send the rain and pour out your spirit. Lord, send the rain. Open the windows of heaven, God. Water us, refresh us, sustain us in this season and in this moment. And we love that, but God said, sometimes a word for me is like the snow. The thing was true the moment it was sent, but the time appointed was long. It had no less power when it was spoken, but there is a holding pattern involved. And you've got to wait. But be encouraged today, because even if you find yourself in a season of waiting on the Lord, I've come to tell you that the promise is no less significant for you than it is for those that are experiencing the rains of God's goodness right now. I've come to remind you and tell you that the word of God, it will never return void. The word of God will never be ineffective in your life. Even if it has come down as snow that has fallen and accumulated, can I tell you it shall accomplish what God sent it to do. And you can keep holding on to your promise from the Lord. I don't know if there's anybody here in this room today or joining us online that you've got a promise from God. The Lord has spoken something into your spirit, something about your family or about your situation. I've come to encourage you, keep holding on to the word of God. Don't give up on your promise from the Lord, but keep believing it because it will not return void. Clap your hands for a moment, give God praise. Come on, if that's you today and if you're waiting on God, if you're trusting in the Lord, God would say, just hold on a little bit longer. Come on, the thing is true, even if the time appointed is long. Abraham, God began you on this journey, and he is with you all, all the way. Abraham, he's given you a promise, and it might take some time, but don't lose faith because God backs up his word. God will always back up his word. God's got your back this morning. If you're holding on to a promise, God's got your back today. Allow me to take a turn in the story, and I just want to follow what Abraham walked through. 
Genesis 21, we already read it. It opens with Sarah giving birth to Isaac after 25 long years of waiting, which makes chapter 22 that much more strange to me because that chapter opens this way. And it came to pass after these things, after the promise fulfilled, after God's been so faithful and so good that God did tempt or test Abraham. And he said unto him, Abraham, Abraham said, behold, here am I. And he's on cloud nine in, in this season of his life. He's riding high and he's loving every day and loving every moment. And God said to him, Abraham, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. And get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And in light of everything we just read and in light of everything that has happened up to this point, this does not make sense. Abraham and Sarah have waited years, decades even, for their promise. And now God is asking Abraham to offer this promised child, to offer Isaac as a sacrifice on an altar. It is yet another test of this man's faith, of this family's faith. And as I was preparing this series, I did not intend or even realize that this thread would be there. But in all three parts and all three messages that I will preach, there is this thread of testing and trial and storms and, and learning to trust in God and wait on God no matter how difficult. And that's where Abraham finds himself again. And I'll just say the obvious this morning, tests are never easy. They're never easy. Tests are never easy, but in one sense I would say that we can take it as a compliment when God sends tests and trials into our lives. Because it shows that God wants to promote us in this school of faith. That's how it works in school. You, you, you kind of get to the end of a chapter, you learn what there is to, to learn, and then they test you before you move on to the next chapter. It's, it's a way of enacting promotion and progression and moving forward. That's what a test is for. And they're not easy, but, but Warren Wearsby, he says this, our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, to do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible. And that's where Abraham finds himself. He's, he's seen all of these. He's walked through all of these, the unbearable, the unreasonable, and the impossible. And here he finds himself again. But what's amazing to me is that Abraham does not seem to flinch or delay. The very next verse, in verse 3, he gets up. The very next morning, he makes his preparations and starts heading toward Moriah. And as you read the passage, it does not indicate any sorrow. It does not indicate any sadness, only faith in God, which is amazing to me. What a response to such a staggering request from God. I think that Abraham was so willing to trust God and so he was so willing to offer Isaac because Abraham had come to know that God's word was trustworthy. And Abraham had come to know that if you put your faith in this God, you will not be put to shame and you will not be let down. And with everything that Abraham had gone through, his faith was strong in God. And he knew that Isaac was somehow going to make it through this. He, he knew it. In fact, when, when he's talking to the servants, he said, you guys stay here. Me and the lad were going up the mountain to worship, and we will come back to you. 
Verse number five, Genesis 22, he said, we're coming back down that mountain. One way or another, God's going to do this. The writer of Hebrews 11, chapter 11, 17 through 19, he said, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. And Abraham, who had received God's promises, that's how he could do it. It's because he had received the promises in the past and he was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. It wasn't going to come through Ishmael. It wasn't going to come through another. It was coming through Isaac. But nonetheless, Abraham was willing. And Abraham, verse 19, he reasoned that if Isaac died, if God would let him go through with this, he reasoned that God was able to bring him back to life again. Abraham was so convinced of the promise that he would have a lineage and it would come through Isaac. He was so persuaded of the word that he had received from God that he even believed that God would resurrect Isaac if necessary. Now we have the scripture and we have the promise of resurrection and and we've seen the cross and Calvary and we know about the empty tomb, but there had not been a resurrection up to this point in scripture. So that's faith. Abraham had faith in God and so he obeyed. God. But the focus of this story for us today, it is not just Abraham. Look at your neighbor and say, what about Isaac? What about Isaac? Let's all put ourselves in his shoes for a minute. In some ways, Isaac is just along for the ride here. He's following the lead of his dad. And, you know, we don't know exactly how old he is. We know he's old enough to carry the wood up the mountain, but young enough to still be considered a lad by his dad. Some suggest that he's perhaps a young teenager. We can't know for sure. And the further along they went on this journey, if Isaac didn't already know what was about to happen, I have to believe that he started putting the pieces together. In Genesis 22 and 7, it reveals that to us because Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father and Abraham said, here am I, my son. And Isaac said, behold, I see fire. I see the wood. Dad, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering, dad? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And that seemed to suffice because the both of them went on together. And as they climb up that mountain, I got to believe that Isaac began understanding what's about to go down. I have to believe that he starts realizing that, that he is the one that is meant for that altar. That he is the one destined to die. That he is the one whom God has determined to be that sacrifice. And as he, as he climbs, as he's carrying that wood, I, I can only imagine the questions running through his mind. Could it really be? Would God really require such a thing? Because I didn't ask to be involved here. Isaac didn't ask to be in this this proceeding. Isaac didn't ask to be born into this family, to be born the son of Abraham, this father of faith that, that God had given great promises to. Isaac didn't ask for that, and it doesn't seem fair. And when they finally reached the summit, what Isaac hoped was just a bad dream, it turns out to be his reality. Verse 9, it says, they finally come to the place which God had told him of. Abraham built an altar there. And he laid the wood in order on that altar. And then he turns to his son Isaac. 
Can you imagine? He takes his son in his hands and he binds his hands and he lays them on the altar upon that wood. Can you imagine being Isaac? Can you imagine your father binding your hands and laying you on an altar about ready to sacrifice you, ready to allow your body to be consumed by fire? Can you imagine what it was like to be that young man that day? Well, the truth of the matter is you are Isaac. We are Isaac. And in Isaac, we find the story of humanity because here we are born into the human family, which is tarnished by sin. And I know what some people think and what some people say. Well, I didn't ask to be here. And I didn't ask for this lot in life. And it's by no fault of our own that we were born with a fallen nature. But here we are, nonetheless, drug along on the coattails of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and their original sin in the garden. And it doesn't seem fair. It's not fair. We didn't do it. They did it. But here we are. And because of man's sinfulness, death is our ultimate destination. And no, not just physical death, but spiritual death. That is to say, eternal separation from our heavenly Father. That's our story. And I know we can look around this world today and we can see good people and virtuous people, but even the most virtuous person among us finds themselves an infinite distance away from a holy and righteous God. Our story is hopelessness epitomized. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And our best efforts, the prophet would say, are as filthy rags before the Lord. The best you could offer to God is like rubbish in his sight. There is nothing that we can do, nothing in our own power that we could employ to fix our sin problem. And as we climb this mountain called life, like Isaac, we are confronted by the reality that at the end of the road, death awaits all of us. This Bible it reveals to us the reality that we are the ones that are required to pay our own pen penalty. We are the ones destined to die for our sin. We are the ones to be offered as that sacrifice, not that it would be enough anyway. But that's our lot. That's our story. But that is not where the story ends. Because as Abraham stretches out Knife in hand, ready to offer up his son. The Lord interrupts him at just the right moment. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad. Don't you go forward with what you're about to do, Abraham. Don't do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. I think it's worth pointing out in this narrative that God did not actually require and desire human sacrifice. Sometimes people would point to this narrative and say, see, see that, that's not a good God. This was not about human sacrifice. That was a pagan worship ritual. 
In fact, it was all the nations around Abraham, where he had come from and where he currently was in Canaan land. All the nations around him, they were involved in child sacrifice, in human sacrifice, but that's not what God desired. God wanted to see if Abraham was willing to do for his God what the world around him was willing to do for theirs. God wanted to know, Abraham, are you willing to lay everything aside for me in obedience to my calling? God wanted to know if there was any price that Abraham was unwilling to pay. If there was any promise that seemed too impossible to believe. It was about complete surrender, wasn't it? God said, now I know. Now I know that you fear God. But that's not even the most significant scripture in my opinion. Verse 13 says, He's interrupted. He stopped the proceedings. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. He looked. And behold, behind him. Everyone say, behind him. Behind him. Everyone say, God's got your back. Behold, behind him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took that ram and he offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead, in the place of his son. See, the story wasn't over, was it? Because as Isaac looked up at his father, holding that dagger over him, he thought it was over. But that's when God stepped in and he said, Abraham, stop. I have another plan. I have another sacrifice prepared to be offered in Isaac's place. You see, all the while you were climbing up Mount Moriah, that ram was making his way to this very spot for this very moment to be offered as a substitute in his place. And in the moment of greatest need, behold, behind him was that ram ready to be sacrificed in Isaac's stead. They found out again that day Abraham and Isaac, that the God of all glory was good for his word. They found out that day that he was a God that would not forsake them in their moment of need, but God had their back. And when it seemed like the dagger of death was at hand for us, and the fire of God's holiness would have consumed us, that's when God stepped in and said, stop. That's when God stepped into the human story and he said, I have another plan. I have another sacrifice. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I have another sacrifice prepared to be offered in your place. When Abraham said, what Abraham said to Isaac, it was not just a word for his son, but the spirit of prophecy hit that old patriarch and his words pointed ahead to Calvary. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Did you know that God came himself as the man Christ Jesus robed in a body of flesh and he went to that cross in my place? when I didn't deserve it, and when it seemed impossible, when it seemed like all hope was lost, and when it seemed like everything was against me, Jesus came and he took my place. Come on, can you say it this morning? He took my place, which tells me that I don't have to pay my own price for my own sin. Come on, you don't have to face eternal death and eternal separation at the end of this life's road. 
Come on, God's got your back today. God's got our back today. He went to the cross and he paid my price. I've come to tell you about a God that didn't sit idly by while we floundered in our sin, but the Lord, he provided himself as a lamb to be offered in our place on the cross of Calvary. John the Baptist, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And in Revelation 13, Jesus is that Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Which tells me that in the mind of God, in eternity past and in creation, in in his mind, this plan of redemption was already in place. This substitutionary lamb that would come and shed his blood for our sin, it was in his mind. And Jesus came and he did the work. And it is finished. The blood of Jesus, what bulls and goats could never do, the blood of Jesus has been shed Our sin atoned for, the price paid. He took my place. Humanity had his back against the wall, but that's when God said, I've got your back. And there, like Abraham, I can only imagine him just looking over his shoulder and seeing that solution, seeing the substitution. And like him, over the shoulder of humanity was Jesus ready to come and become the sacrifice in our place. This Jesus Christ, the righteous, he was that ram caught in the thicket. Now this is not just a 4,000-year-old story. Music, you can join me. This is not just about Abraham. It's not about Isaac, and it's not about a ram. This is the story of Calvary. And this is our story. This is my story, and this is your story when the God of all glory took my place on a sinner's cross. The one who did no sin, he took on my sin. Nailing it to that cross and dying in my place. He was my substitute and he died so that I wouldn't have to. He died so that I could pick myself up off of that proverbial altar and live to see another day, and have hope, and experience his promise. The prophet Isaiah, he looked ahead, and he saw a suffering servant, and he was speaking prophetically of Jesus in Calvary when he said, surely he hath borne our griefs. Everyone say our griefs. It wasn't his grief, it was our griefs. And he carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace it was upon him and with his stripes we are healed see I didn't have to go through it he went through it so that I could experience the blessing and the benefit of redemption and all we like sheep have gone astray And we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul said that he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Jesus became sin. And it wasn't for his sin. It was for us. It was for our sin. It was for our our wrongdoing and our, our sinful nature. He knew no sin. 
but it was so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You want to talk about, talk about a divine exchange. That's Calvary. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he, you know, Isaiah the prophet, he looked ahead to Calvary. Well, Peter didn't need to look ahead. He had lived through it. He had seen it. And Peter said, who his own self bear our sins in his body on that tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness and by whose stripes ye were healed you see it was supposed to be Isaac on that altar it was supposed to be his life offered as a sacrifice but ultimately God had other plans because there behind Abraham was a ram in the thicket provided by God as a substitute and that ram took Isaac's place it seemed hopeless and there seemed to be no way out but God said hey I've got your back and it was supposed to be us on that cross that should have been you and that should have been me it was supposed to be us paying the price for our own sin but ultimately God had other plans and like Isaac, the human race begins looking around, wondering if there is a sacrifice worthy enough. Where is the lamb? Where, where is a sacrifice worthy enough to be offered unto God? We are the ones who deserve judgment and we are the ones who deserve to pay our own penalty, but even our best would still fall short. But there, standing over the shoulder of humanity, was this Jesus, this spotless lamb, ready to die in our place. And that is exactly what he did. It seemed hopeless, and there seemed to be absolutely, positively no way out. But God said, I've got your back, and I'll take your place, and I'll make a way. What if you stand together with me this morning? I feel the help of God in this room and I declare that today is the day of salvation because somebody, you've walked into this room and what I've preached to you today is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you don't have to pay for your own sin. That you don't have to walk into eternity without a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning, I would like to give you an opportunity to make sure that your soul and your spirit is ready to meet God one day. The work of Calvary is already finished, but it is still left to us to receive the finished work of the cross. It doesn't happen by proxy. It doesn't happen just because we're in proximity of it or because we just happen to have heard a sermon about it one day. But we have to respond to what the Lord says in His Word. I said it at the beginning, I just wonder if, if you are a minister in this church, if, and I'm not just looking for all men, if there are some ladies, some prayer warriors, some spouses of ministry, if you can take a step forward, I want to invite you to just come along this altar, keep one eye on me and keep one eye on this congregation here this morning. Can you move quickly? I'm going to make an appeal in just a moment for somebody that wants to take a step toward the Lord today. And I believe that the Lord is going to convict and lead and draw. Today, there might be somebody hearing me that you want to get right with God. And it's a simple message this morning, but if you will take a step of faith 
And if you will embrace the finished work of the cross in a step called repentance, that is not just feeling sorry for sin, but repentance is saying, God, I've tried it my own way and it's not working. Repentance means a turn to God and you start walking toward Him. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. We cannot promise perfection, but we can say, God, I'm going to walk your direction. That's repentance. And we'll pray in that together here this morning in a few moments. And everybody, if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name in water, taking on the only saving name of Jesus, that is a part of our response to Calvary and the cross. God said he promised us that he would fill us with the gift of his Holy Spirit. How many believe that God's going to do it today? How many believe that God's going to do it today? Church family, I just wonder if everybody here this morning, if at, if at the very least, if you would just launch yourself into a, into a moment of prayer right now, and can you just begin to pray? And right now, I would ask that if you are here this morning and you would like to take a step toward God and you, you would say, I want to know, I want to be sure that my eternity is secure and that the blood of Jesus flows and reaches my life, I'm inviting you right now to take a step of faith and a step of boldness and courage and just come around this front. And these folks are willing and able to pray with you if you would like to pray and, and just have that moment of repentance before the Lord. Church, if you would close your eyes and lift your voice, and just enter into a time of prayer right now. Because today is the day of salvation. And today is a day of divine exchange. Come on, just take a step of, of courage today. Take a step of boldness today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Can you launch yourself into prayer for just another moment? We're all going to gather around the front in a minute. And anybody is welcome to come to this altar at any time, but I just want us to push in prayer. And can we intercede for the souls of men and women right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah. As you continue to pray, here's what I would ask. For the benefit of those that are taking a step toward the Lord, why don't we all just take a step toward this altar right now? The Lord is reaching for somebody today. Come on, there's no need to feel shame or embarrassment in this atmosphere. The Lord might be reaching for you today. And I encourage you in the Lord. I urge you in the Lord to let that conviction draw you to your next step in God. The Lord is calling. The Lord is reaching today. In the name of Jesus, let's come. Let's come and let's create an atmosphere for the Lord to reach. If you want to repent of your sins, you can do it at this altar. If you want to be baptized in Jesus' name, taking on His name,
in redemption. You can do that this morning. We are ready to baptize you today. If you want to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, that can happen for you today in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Come on, church, let's pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.